You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, Bleeding Green Nation, and welcome back to another edition of Eye on the Enemy, powered by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I'm your host, John Stolness. You can follow me on Twitter at John Stolness. And coming up, we're going to talk to Sports Illustrated football writer and one of the hosts of the MMQB NFL podcast, Connor Orr. He did a piece about... Uh, the NFL head coaches ranked them all in order of best head coaches to worst head coaches. And we'll talk to him about where he has Nick Sirianni and get his thoughts on the Sirianni regime and what he thinks about the Philadelphia Eagles heading into the 2021 season. And we'll also talk about some of his rankings of the other NFL head coaches. Some good head coach talk here on Eye on the Enemy coming up this week. Also, some of the latest news and rumors around what the NFL is doing about the COVID-19 outbreak that's going on across the country right now. How is the NFL doing in terms of getting players vaccinated, also the latest on Zach Ertz and Deshaun Watson. Uh, all that coming up here on this episode of Eye on the Enemy. But first, let's talk to Connor Orr from Sports Illustrated because, you know, we, we are coming into the season with a brand new head coach and we don't know the first thing about what he's going to do. I mean, we have some idea what he's going to do, but it's obviously uh, a whole new thing with Nick Sirianni coming in here. And I think sometimes as we talk about this football team, we kind of forget that we've got a head coach that we don't know what he's going to do, how he's going to do it. A very, a very green, a very raw rookie head coach that uh, some people have a good amount of confidence in. And there are others of you listening who I don't think have much confidence in him at all. So uh, let's talk to Connor Orr from Sports Illustrated and figure out exactly where he has Nick Sirianni ranked among the new head coaches taking over NFL teams here this season. And join me to talk a little bit about the Eagles coaching staff this year. And uh, it's obviously a new coaching staff. We're still not exactly sure what we're going to get from Nick Sirianni and the crew. But uh, trying to figure out where he stacks up among uh, the NFL head coaching ranks. And we'll talk a little bit about some big NFL news that came down today as well regarding the coronavirus and games getting canceled and forfeits and all that good stuff. Is Connor Orr, who is a uh, staff writer for Sports Illustrated, writes about the NFL and uh, does a fantastic... Connor, you do a podcast for them too. Too, correct uh yeah yeah the uh so the mmqb podcast is myself jenny Ventus, and uh gary grambling and we're out uh every monday uh all year so uh yeah definitely uh it'd be great if uh if you guys would check that out yeah bang the subscribe button on that apple podcast or spotify or wherever it is you get the podcast folks and make sure you're catching every episode of that follow connor on twitter at connor or that's with one n c-o-n-o-r-o-r-r connor thanks for coming on eye on the enemy man i appreciate it how you doing I'm doing well, thanks. I uh, appreciate you having me. Absolutely. And uh, I really enjoyed your article uh, about um, about uh, the ranking of, of head coaches in the NFL. And I uh, wanted to dive into that just a, a little bit and start off talking about, obviously, the, the Philadelphia Eagles coaching staff. Because, you know, it's got to be when you're putting a list like this together, you can obviously rank the coaches that you know pretty easily or at the very least with some degree of confidence. Because when you've got a track record, 
you know you you have something to base it on but uh when you when you're t- when you're trying to rank the new head coaches who have no experience i got to imagine that's that's pretty difficult so so where did you where do you have nick siriani i guess we'll talk about amongst the newer coaches the the first year guys uh that are getting their first taste of the nfl this year yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, you never want to be unfair. Um, you know, I, I saw some rankings that had the new head coaches mixed in um, with the old head coaches, and I just thought, you know, it, you know, how how can we know, for example, that Dan Campbell is going to be any better or worse than Vic Fangio? We haven't seen them on a level playing field. And so, what I tried to do was grade them on their staff strength. You know, that's something that we can, that's something that we can quantify, and also put um, put some odds on some playoff chances because. As much as first-year playoff chances reflect the kind of roster that you're inheriting, mm-hmm. I think that we, we are at the age where we've seen so many quick turnarounds where the three- or four-year rebuild really isn't going to happen. And I think guys are going to be judged on in year two if you're not making the playoffs. You know, There's going to be some serious issues here. So I ranked the new head coaches separately, and out of the seven, I had um, Nick Sirianni at five, just behind Urban Meyer there at, mm-hmm. uh, at four. Yeah, and I think your write-up is is pretty accurate here, and I think you really hit on something that that we've kind of been talking about here in Philadelphia is that Sirianni really is in kind of a difficult spot, as you wrote. I mean, and you wrote, despite what it looks like from the outside, the Eagles want Jalen Hurts to succeed, and there is pressure on Sirianni to make that happen. Uh, with a decaying veteran base and a messy divorce from Doug Peterson causing some wounds to linger, this was the kind of job for a second-time head coach more used to the game's political side. If Sirianni can handle the noise and survive into year three after the Eagles will have spent all of their massive 2022 draft capital, including as of now four picks in the top 40, he might be in calmer waters. And I, I think what you're hitting on there is that he's coming into a front office situation that's pretty tumultuous. And we saw that they just kind of ran a Super Bowl winning head coach out of town. And now they're bringing in a guy. And I think the perception is in Nick Sirianni, who a guy who has, you know, very little, you know, no head coaching experience at the NFL level, obviously. But, you know, a guy who at the beginning of the offseason, no one was really talking about him as a, a top head coaching candidate. The perception is that the Eagles are bringing in a guy that they can control. What do you, what do you make of that assertion? Do you, is that your sense as well? I, I think in some ways, yes. And, you know, for Eagles fans, it'll immediately freak out when I say that. I think that that can be a bad thing, but that can also be a good thing, right? Um, you know, for example, and I'm not saying that Kevin Stefanski is fully controlled, but he is a guy that the Browns brought in because they knew that he would listen to their ideas. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is critical um, if your organization has a direction that you want to go in. And, you know, so instead of trying to fit a square peg into a round hole, the Eagles have gotten a guy that's going to come in and say, okay, well, no matter what you say, I'm going to listen to you. And I think that sometimes that can actually work out for the better. But, yes, I do think that they want somebody who's going to listen to them, um, who's not going to begrudgingly go along with decisions. You know, if they want to move the quarterback, if they want to draft the quarterback, if they want to do whatever they're going to do, and there's going to be some big decisions here coming up. Um, I think that he's the kind of guy that probably won't stir the pot too much. And and in the first season with a with a roster that is coming off a four eleven and one season, no, and I, the expectations are not high that the Eagles are going to really contend for the postseason this this year. So I I don't feel like Sirianni really has to do much in terms of of wins and losses this year, unless unless it's a disaster. I mean, uh, but 
how much time does he have here in Philadelphia? I mean, let's, he's got at least two or three seasons to kind of give this thing a go, especially when you consider the fact that the quarterback situation is still very much up in the air here in Philadelphia. How, how difficult is that for him to navigate a, a guy in Jalen Hurts in his first full season? But also, you've got these, like you said, four picks in the top 40 that the Eagles could very well use to try and get themselves another quarterback next year. Yeah, it's it's going to be a difficult situation. I mean, you know, Jeffrey Lurie thinks that um, Jalen Hurts is the next Russell Wilson. And so when, you know, you're brought in under those circumstances, that's a lot of pressure. And <laughs> you're brought in um, specifically because, you know, you're like Frank Reich, and Frank Reich was the guy who did all the good things with your last quarterback. And mm-hmm. so I think that there's some dated linear thinking there. And while Lurie's had a pretty good track record of hiring coaches, yeah. but, you know, he's hit on these guys, but – at the same time, I think that at some point hiring the guy that works for the guy that you want is, is, is not necessarily a thing because what's unique about Frank Reich is his offense, you know, not to sound corny or anything, but kind of told a story throughout the course of the game. It was something that the quarterback understood. It was something that they went through together. And that's not a system. That's mm-hmm. not an offense. That's not a playbook. That's inside your brain, right? And, and that's not something that Nick Sirianni can just bring uh, to the Eagles. You know, that, you know, so we don't really know what he's going to do during a game planning week, how he's going to work with Jalen Hurts to create that flow. And so it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens there. But, I mean, the expectation is that Jalen Hurts is going to be a very good quarterback and Howie Roseman smartly kind of covered himself on the backside with three first-round picks so he can get somebody else if it doesn't work. So what are fair expectations, do you think, for for Nick Sirianni? Like, what what should Eagles fans be expecting from him and and his coaching staff here in, in year number one? You know, I said this about Robert Sala, too, where, like, you know, you, you don't have to win more than four or five games, but you have to be, like, like almost like the Giants were last year. Like, you just have to be tough at those games. You know, you have to be relevant, um, you know, and you're not blowing games at the end by making ridiculous decisions. But, you know, you're <laughs> big, good, good teams that come in. Um, you know, if the, I, I guess that the Cowboys or the Giants are going to win this division. When they come to town, they're not beating you by 21 points. You know, it's yeah. a three-point game. You're hanging with them at the end of the third quarter. Um, you know, you're just competitive. And I think that the other thing here is to handle the transition because, you know, at some point, all these guys that built the core of that Super Bowl team are going to start to retire and to fall off. And I've never seen a locker room thrive on veteran leadership as much as Philadelphia did that year with those guys. And that's a tough thing to just let go of, you know, and, and to replace. So Sirianni's going to need a lot of, you know, charisma in that way and if he can show that I I think that that's a huge deal for him let's talk about the rest of your list here because I think it is an interesting list and as you start with the the very best coaches in the NFL still have uh, Bill Belichick at number one with Andy Reid at number two how close was it for you between those two guys was there any temptation to flip it and have and have uh, Andy at the top uh no and and I did see I I saw it be a um CBS did a great list as well, and they had Andy Reid at number one. But here's the difference for me, and, you know, I tell this story a lot, but, um, you know, Bill Belichick during the offseason one year was, you know, spending time with black ops military members, finding out how he could get four hours worth of sleep in 45 minutes with a sensory deprivation tank. Like, there's a difference between being a creative play caller and being somebody who's so immersed in football that you're spending your free time talking to the military about how you can sleep less, you know, and I think that that is the difference between Andy Reid and Bill Belichick, and I would still, 
and, and I would hope that anyone else would make the mm-hmm. same decision. If your coach was fired and he was on the market and willing to come in, I think that would be the, the biggest no-brainer in the history of sports. Who's the best head coach in the NFC East right now? That's a good question. Um, I, I would say by default, Ron Rivera, just because it's, it's a two-time coach of the year award winner, uh, and it's a guy who did a nice job under difficult circumstances last year cleaned up a pretty big mess, even though the off-field stuff is never really going to be cleaned up. Um, uh, but I, I think he did a nice job there, and you know he, he got the ear of Daniel Snyder, which is critical, and was able to cut loose some of the players that he didn't want or didn't need or were dragging the franchise down. But I would say in a close second at this point, I really liked what Joe Judge did last year. And outside of the offensive coordinator spot, which I think could use a little bit of inspiration, I think that uh, he's got a really great staff. You know, Patrick Graham is going to be a head coach probably next year if that defense has another good season. And uh, a lot of people in the NFL are kind of like sneakily thinking that this could be Daniel Jones' season too. So I could see Joe Judge really quickly becoming uh, the best head coach in that division. Well, he's got so much talent on at the skill positions right now in, in, in New York. I mean, he's got Saquon. He's got all those wide receivers. I couldn't understand why the Giants were, were so hard after another wide receiver in the first round with, with, with everything with everything everything they already had in the wide receiver room uh, in, in the draft this past year. But I mean, Evan Engerman tight end, you know, you've got an improved offensive line. It's he, it, there's really no excuses for, for Daniel Jones this year. If he, if, if he and Joe judge can't, can't figure it out. Yeah. I, I don't think I agree with you there. Um, and especially when you bring in Galladay, it's not just that you're bringing in a, a good wide receiver. You're bringing in the best contested catch wide receiver at the NFL. And so mm. that's the guy that makes, maybe every out of every five passes catches two or three that he's not supposed to and makes you look better than you should. And so I think that's going to be a big um, bonus for him should he use that. But it was interesting. I was surprised just kind of talking to coaches this offseason at how much optimism there was about Daniel Jones and how, you know, privately maybe the people who didn't think it was a good pick at the time did see some stuff on film over the first two years that, that led them to be a little bit more optimistic. Who, in your estimation, is the most underrated head coach in the NFL? I have a name in my mind, but I'm curious who you think it might be. That's a good question. Um, I would say if I could do, uh, if I could name, if I could have a tie, I yeah. would probably say Brian Flores um, in Miami, um, and I would say probably Kyle Shanahan. Mm. And here's why: I think that Kyle Shanahan is super underrated because every single coach on this list is trying to hire someone from his staff to run that offense, including, you know, the Eagles were poaching people last year at the last minute to try to fix it and and run a little bit of outside zone to try to fix Carson Wentz. And everybody in the NFL is just copying what he's doing on a regular basis. And, you know, there are times when guys are hurt and, and the record isn't necessarily there. But I think when it comes to the overall influence of the NFL, I don't think anybody has their finger on the pulse more than Kyle, and I think that people are really sort of following his lead behind the scenes. Yeah, the Eagles tried to do that last year by bringing in a bunch of other different voices with Doug Peterson, but unfortunately they didn't really have a plan to make it all work, and so it just kind of blew up in their faces. Um, You know, so... An overrated head coach? I mean, that's unfair. I don't want to, you know, bash on a head coach necessarily, but is there a head coach out there that gets a little bit more love from the fan base and from the media than maybe he deserves. I think that we talked about this in our podcast today, and I think it's going to be, we'll find out this year, right? Is Sean Payton, right? Mm. And I think that that's a guy where 
you know, everybody says, well, Bill Belichick won six Super Bowls because he had Tom Brady. Well, who is the only other quarterback that's probably remotely close to Tom Brady in terms of the processing ability, the longevity, the knowledge of the offense? It was Drew Brees, right? And yeah. so, you know, uh, what's your excuse? You know, you, he had six, you had one, and, you know, you had these teams that would go win 13, 14 games a year, um, and, and you wouldn't win the Super Bowl. So I think that It'll be interesting to see what he does without Drew Brees. Uh, it'll be interesting for us to find out how much Drew Brees really had to do with the daily operation of things, just like we kind of got a little bit of a window into how the Patriots worked without Tom Brady. Last thing for you here, and this news came down uh, from the NFL today. Uh, they are looking like they're going to bring the hammer down on unvaccinated players and and, co- and coaches in the, in the Tier 1 and Tier 2 area, uh, basically saying that if a game has to be postponed this year because there's a COVID outbreak due to unvaccinated players on the team, that if they can't make it up within the 17-game, the, the, the 18-week uh, season, they're not going to add another week to the end of the season in order to get a game in. And... A team that has to forfeit, a team that cannot field a team because they don't have enough uh, players will forfeit the game and they, they'll get it chalked up as an L and the team that they're going to play gets, a, gets it chalked up as a win. I mean, this has, this has serious ramifications to so many different things. I mean, this, this does not only affect like the two teams involved, but if you're giving a team a free win, that could potentially knock another team out of a playoff spot by giving that team a, a free win, and it obviously keeps a losing team out of uh, a playoff spot if they lose. So there's a lot of different moving pieces with this, but at the end of the day, it seems like the NFL is trying to send a message here, Connor. Is that the idea? Yeah, and uh, I mean, the players are going to lose... Um players are going to lose game checks too. I think players from both teams are going to end up losing game checks, but uh, this is the most difficult situation the NFL has ever found itself in because, you know, in the past they've been able to sort of both sides, a lot of these really um, serious arguments or issues, whether it was, you know, social justice reform or, uh, you know, any of the big sea change stuff that we had seen happen to the NFL over the last 10 years, they've always been able to sort of just make it work and make it go away. But this is a choice that comes down to what players want to do with their body. You know, and it's mm-hmm. whether either you get get the shot or you don't get the shot. And I'm fascinated to see how they handle this because, as we saw DeAndre Hopkins uh, yeah. today, there are going to be a lot of guys who aren't too keen on the NFL telling them what to do um, with their body necessarily, you know, and, yeah. and this and vaccine for, you know, a lot of people who don't realize this, you know, and especially in the African American community, you go back a long time and there's some, some painful roots there for a lot of people mm-hmm. who, for one reason or another, still don't want to trust, um, you know, the government and, and mass medical and all that kind of stuff. And so this is incredibly complicated and, uh, I'm really curious to see what happens. And, uh, I would guess that the players in the NFLPA are, are not done fighting this. Well, it, like you said, it, it will be very interesting to see how this all plays out. And it sounds like the NFL is getting closer to that 85% mark that, that uh, you know, Major League Baseball wants to have and other sports want to have. But um, like you said, it's it's going to be a struggle, and there's just going to be some people that, that will not do it. But uh, we'll be keeping an eye on all that, especially as we get closer to training camp here and, and see how the rest of the summer goes. Folks, make sure you're reading everything that Connor Orr is writing at Sports Illustrated by following him on Twitter at Connor Orr. And also check out the MMQB NFL podcast. Uh, Again, get it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is you get your podcast. Connor, thanks for coming on Eye on the Enemy, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.
Well, up next, we'll talk a little bit about the NFL's COVID-19 protocols that they announced this week and also get you the latest news and rumors on Zach Ertz and Deshaun Watson. That's all coming up next here on Eye on the Enemy. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're back on Eye on the Enemy. So uh, one of the things that, one of the big pieces of news that came down from the NFL this week was um, they are really leaning in to doing everything they can to see that NFL players get vaccinated against COVID-19. Now, they, of course, cannot force players who don't want to get the vaccine to get the vaccine. And as we have seen over these uh, last couple of days with uh, DeAndre Hopkins and it seems like Dak Prescott, uh, we all know about uh, Cole Beasley, some some very outspoken star NFL players who have come out uh, and either said they're not getting the vaccine or have expressed skepticism or just who haven't gotten it yet. Uh, Now, the NFL did release some potentially positive news here. NFL Chief Medical Officer Alan Sills said that 80% of players have taken at least one COVID-19 vaccine shot. Nine teams are over 90%. Only five teams are at less than 70%. We don't know where the Eagles come in on that ranking. Um, I don't think we've heard about any Eagles players who have or have not gotten the shot, so um, no real way to tell. But what the NFL is basically saying is that we want you guys to get vaccinated, and here are the incentives to do it. Actually, it's probably more of a stick than a carrot uh, for, for NFL players to, to get the vaccine. So we, we all know we've got a 17-game NFL season spread out over 18 weeks. The NFL says if any game has to be canceled, because a team suffers a COVID-19 outbreak among unvaccinated players. And they can't make that game up within the 18-week NFL regular season schedule. They they will not extend the NFL season by a week. They are not going to give teams a 19th week in order to make up a game that may have been canceled. And so, any team responsible for a game being canceled or postponed, that they can't make up because of a COVID-19 outbreak, will have that game go on their record as a forfeit loss. And the team they were supposed to play will get a victory in that particular team. Not only that, game checks to those players will not be issued. So players will not be paid for any game that does not get made up, which, I mean, we're talking millions of dollars for many of these players were that to happen. And so you look at the ramifications of that, you're talking about 
you're, you're talking about NFL players potentially not making the postseason because of a COVID-19 outbreak on their team. I mean, we, it's only a 17-game season. One loss can mean the difference between winning a division title. It can mean the difference between home field advantage throughout the NFL playoffs. It can mean the difference between getting a wild card spot. It can mean the difference between staying home during the postseason or getting into the NFL tournament. This is a big deal. This is a this is a very big deal. And not only does it affect the team, and by the way, the team that is responsible for the game being canceled has to pay for all the expenses that the other team, the, the winning team, may incur as a result of that game being suspended or postponed or canceled or whatever it happens to be. So some a pretty big stick essentially here is what we're talking about with coming from the NFL regarding COVID-19 protocols uh, as the season goes along. They are not messing around. They are not joking around. They want players to get vaccinated, but they know they can't force it. This is their way of doing that. This is their way, as you as you heard me talking about with Connor just a minute ago, this is their way of, of making sure that that happens. So, um, but the, the, the news is that according to NFL Chief Medical Officer Alan Sills, eight in 10 players have taken at least one COVID-19 shot so far this year, 80%. So that is good news. 19 teams have over 90%. Only five teams are at less than 70% here so far this offseason. Let's get into some of the news and notes about the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, A lot of talk about Zach Ertz this week as we are getting ready for training camp to kick off here in just a couple of weeks. It looks like Zach Ertz is going to report, if you believe, Howard Eskin. Uh, Howard Eskin tweeted, the latest on Eagle Zach Ertz this week, he said, I, I hear there is a great chance Ertz will be on the team at the start of the season. Been told Zach will be there at the start of training camp on Tuesday. Zach has been working out in the team facility for close to at least two weeks with teammates. And this is the part that was the most eye-opening for me. Eskin tweeted, he's over the issues. As if to say, Zach Ertz is resigned to where he is on the team. He's resigned to his contract status and he's... He's basically letting bygones be bygones, or at the very least, he's putting it behind him so that he can get on the field and play this year. And we all assume that he would be traded this offseason. We assume that he would probably be traded before the draft, and then that didn't happen. He wasn't traded on draft night. He still is on this team. Now, of course, you know, you could see a team lose a tight end and all of a sudden trade talks may pick up again. Uh, You might see a team that loses a backup tight end and and may want somebody to come in and provide depth. Maybe a team that's a little closer to winning the Super Bowl. And that might be a situation where Zachert says, yeah, okay, I'd be willing to do that. And if that team's willing to meet the Eagles price, okay, maybe that's what happens. But as of right now, there, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of smoke for any Zach Ertz trade rumors. But the NFL Network's Mike Garofolo, friend of the podcast, is kind of throwing a little bit of cold water on that. He said, I don't believe everything is forgotten and forgiven. Zach Ertz, when he spoke to the media at the end of the season this last season, spoke like a guy who knew his time in Philadelphia was up. Even though he's going to report at the start of training camp, I believe there is a chance he will still not be with the Eagles. And Mike Garofolo continued on and said on the NFL Network, look, this is a guy who was injured last year, and that's why the production fell off. And he's really intent on proving he's still the same guy, provided that he is healthy. And that's why Howard noted this. Hey, he's been working out at the facility the last couple of weeks. Garofolo says, well, my understanding is because people weren't there. So he could just go in, do his work because he's in Philadelphia, and this is the team he's with right now. So don't read too much into that as far as him working out at the facility. He just wanted to go in and get good work and get out of there without really having to interact with a lot of folks. So Zach Ertz will see where it goes, but I'm not quite putting him on the roster with the Eagles in week one just yet. Now, if I'm the Eagles, I'm not looking to trade Zach Ertz at this point. If a team comes to you and says, 
we're willing to give you a second round pick or a third round pick for Zach Ertz, you obviously do that. But given the fact that Dallas Goddard has had trouble staying healthy, that he hasn't really ever been able to, over a 16-game season, stay healthy and productive during the entire 16-game season. As, as you've heard others on this podcast feed talk about, that Dallas Goddard has never been a high-volume high tight end guy. He hasn't shown to be a Pro Bowl tight end. He's got the talent of a top five, top ten tight end, and he could certainly be that guy, but he's never shown it. And so if you jettison Zach Ertz, you're really holding fast to the notion that Dallas Goddard is going to be a Pro Bowl-ish tight end for you, that he can do, and he can do it. He can be that guy. We've seen Dallas Goddard's ability. We've seen him flash. We've seen him have five or six game streaks where he is a high-volume tight end, but Never like we've seen from Zach Ertz. And, you know, Zach Ertz has lost a step. Let's, I know that injuries played a part last year, but there were also times last year where he wasn't injured and wasn't very productive. So there is a worry. There is a concern that Zach Ertz is, is falling off a cliff a little bit here. But it would be nice if Zach Ertz could enter the part of his career where Brent Selleck was when Zach Ertz was first drafted by the Eagles. Brent Selleck as the backup tight end, providing um, some stability there, providing a second... Um, a second option at tight end uh, for the Eagles to use. I know the Eagles are going to go with a lot more three wide receiver sets this season under Nick Sirianni, but it would be nice to have that two tight end uh, set as a as a backup, as a as a you know a secondary option for Jalen Hurts and Nick Sirianni's offense. But uh, you're obviously not going to turn down a good trade proposal for one if it comes along for Zach Hurts. But I'm starting to believe, and again I say this with no inside information whatsoever, it certainly feels like Zach Hurts will probably be on this roster come week one. And I don't know if the issues are behind him. Only he can tell us that. But um, And I imagine when he, when training camp starts, he'll be one of the first people reporters go up to to try and get some information uh, and see where his mind is at as far as being a Philadelphia Eagle in 2021 or if he is still harboring a strong desire to want to leave to want to leave this franchise. I, I just remember it after the last game of the season, after the after the Washington tank game at the end of last season, um, him on the field with uh, with Carson Wentz and Jason Kelsey just talking about talking. It seemed like they were just trying to hold on to one last little little memory as much as they could before it seemed like they were all going to part ways. And, and maybe that was maybe that was just all about Carson, knowing that Carson wasn't going to be there. But uh, it certainly seems as though Zach Ertz thought he was on his way out. But he is still here, and training camp begins on Tuesday, and it looks like Zach Ertz will report. And barring some team coming to the Eagles and giving them what they want, Zach Ertz is probably going to be on this football team uh, when the season opens uh, in, a, in a couple of months. Um, one other note from Howard Eskin uh, regarding the quarterback situation. He believes there is a 90% chance Deshaun Watson will be traded to the Eagles. He says uh, the Eagles have the three first-round picks, they have two. It's likely that they'll the Carson Wentz uh, pick from Indianapolis will turn into a first rounder, but it hasn't turned into one just yet. So he can't assume three first rounders, but he is and says that's what they're going to have. And this is the prediction I'm going to make based on the information I've gotten. When, and I say when Deshaun Watson is traded, I think there is a 90% chance that he will be with the Philadelphia Eagles. And just based on all the information that I've gotten, that's what I've come down to. Now, I've been looking at some of the polls that the WIP Morning Show has been putting out. A lot of other people have been putting out. Most Eagles fans don't want Deshaun Watson, given all of the sexual assault allegations that are swirling around him. 
he he could that could it's a very problematic situation for for the Eagles to to bring him in surrounding all of that. There's no doubt. Just strictly speaking, football wise, he's young enough, he's talented enough, and he's got enough of a future ahead of him to bring him in. And it's worth the expenditure of that capital for sure. Just strictly speaking, football on the field type stuff. But there there is all of that off the field turmoil that is coming with Deshaun Watson and. You know, Eagles fans, generally speaking, don't want to root for a crumb. They don't want to root for somebody who who is who, who's accused of, of all of these different things. And it, I know Deshaun Watson is denying that these things have taken place. But, um, you know, there's a stain surrounding this guy right now. There there's uh, there is a black cloud surrounding this guy right now. And to bring him into the fold here in Philadelphia, it's a, it could be a PR nightmare for them. And fans want to root for players they feel good about. Player, you know, fans don't want to root, don't want to have to hold their nose in order to root for certain players. They'll do it if they have to. But it would be nice not to not to go out of their way to to go and have to do that. And what if Deshaun Watson, you bring him aboard, and he's suspended for half a season? Would would you still want to spend all of that draft capital on him? You know, I. I certainly don't think spending all those picks on a guy like Aaron Rodgers next year. I don't know how many more years Aaron Rodgers has in front of him, but he's got way more years behind him than in front of him. Would I give up? A, would I give up one first rounder for Aaron Rodgers? Sure, absolutely. And if they have three first rounders, maybe I give up two for for Aaron Rodgers. I don't think I'd do that for Russell Wilson. But you don't know how long either of those quarterbacks have in front of them. Deshaun Watson definitely has more years in front of him than those two guys. But those two guys are also Super Bowl winners. And Aaron Rodgers was the league MVP last year. Russell Wilson was on track to being the league MVP last year until a little slump at the end of the season. So the Eagles will have some options at quarterback. And again, this brings me back to the whole Jalen Hurts situation. And I think he's really in a very tough spot. He has to prove he has one year to prove that he can be this team's franchise quarterback because all these guys are out there. And even if they don't want to trade for a veteran quarterback, they can move up in the draft and get whoever they want with all of the first round capital that they have next year. So Jalen Hurts has one season, one chance, one opportunity to prove that he is the starting quarterback, the franchise quarterback for this football team. Otherwise, he's going to be relegated to the backup role, which is where Howie Roseman said they envisioned him being on this team for his entire career. That's why they drafted him to be a good and viable backup quarterback. Now, that's clearly not something Jalen Hurts would want. He doesn't want to be a career backup quarterback. He wants to be a starter in the NFL, which is why the pick made no sense in the first place. But we've talked about that ad nauseum. We don't need to go into all that again. One last thing before we wrap up, a piece I wrote for Bleeding Green Nation this week, taking a look at ESPN's yearly three-year power rankings of all 32 NFL teams. Um, check that out at bleedinggreennation.com. It came out on Monday, so it's a few days old. you got to scroll down a little bit to find it. But I thought it was very interesting that the they have the Eagles 30th out of 32 NFL teams in their three-year power ranking. So looking ahead over the next three years, they have the Eagles as the third worst team in the NFL over the next three years. The reason why they are at 30th, according to ESPN, they say the roster in Philly is a unique blend of veterans who can help, Lane Johnson, Fletcher Cox, Kelsey, Darius Slay, and a young core that could be the foundation of the future. With potentially three first-round picks next year, the Eagles can be aggressive if desired next offseason when a more palatable cap situation is upon them. 
Uh, remember, they have uh, how much money are they given to Carson Wentz? Thirty-three point eight million dollars comes off the cap after this season with Carson Wentz uh, with Carson Wentz's contract. Uh, he said they say new head coach Nick Sirianni has a chance to groom Jalen Hurts this year, but the roster has clear spots to upgrade on both sides of the ball. Well, yes, that's true. I didn't hear a lot of doom and gloom in that paragraph to the point where I would have them ranked thirtieth. But we'll read on. Their biggest worry. A lack of philosophical alignment and relationship management between the coaching staff and front office is what sunk this team in recent years, and correcting it will go a long way toward getting this organization back on the path to competing for a Super Bowl. Do the Eagles have the right pieces in place? That's a big question, and this is the Howie Roseman effect. We, we've talked about that. He's on his fourth head coach. Um, I, still, I still can't wrap my brain around the fact that Jeff Lurie pulled Doug Peterson into his office the Tuesday after or the a couple days after the Green Bay Thursday night game a couple of seasons ago where they went into Green Bay and upset the Packers on Thursday night football by running the ball taking advantage of Green Bay's inability to stop the run and Jeff Lurie calling a Super Bowl winning head coach into his office to ask why they weren't passing the ball more. I can't get past that. I can't get past that. You have to somebody a lot smarter than me is going to have to explain to me how that's okay. Um more from the ESPN article, what could change for the better? Philly has a young promising skill players has some young promising skill players on offense. The Eagles aged quickly on the perimeter, but a nucleus of Goddard, Devonte Smith and Jalen Rager will be a threat. Goddard is a top 10 tight end right now and Smith has low bust threshold. Um, the man knows how to get open. I think Rager is still very much a question mark. I don't think you can, you know, pen write him in ink as being a young, productive, offensive member of this team. I think a move to the slot could help a lot. And I think, like we just talked about a few minutes ago, Goddard is a, has flashed as a top ten tight end, but he hasn't proven to be a high volume tight end over a sixteen game season. And they didn't mention Miles Sanders in there, who had a sophomore slump last year. I think there's some question marks around what is Miles Sanders going to be in this league. Is he going to be a Brian Westbrook type guy, or is he is he going to be something less than that? Um, if he's going to be something less than that, then they really need some more help at, at the running back spot, and you hope maybe Kenneth Gainwell can provide that to them, or maybe they go out and they they get somebody else to to help out. Um, so look, I mean, here here's the situation. They have holes on this roster. They have a lot of aging players that are going to be retiring soon, and there's not enough good young players that you can really plant a flag in the ground to say this is the corner these are the cornerstones of our team. You can't do it with the quarterback and there's so much uncertainty with the quarterback. Now, would I move the Eagles up a little bit because of all those th- uh, first round picks next year? Yes, I probably would because I think you can reasonably see this team and anticipate that over the next 3 years they're going to find that franchise quarterback. They're going to have that guy in place whether it's Deshaun Watson or whether it's a guy they draft. So I think this team could get better in a hurry. If they get the right quarterback in place, if Devontae Smith does turn out to be the guy that they think they will be and Miles Sanders takes a step forward and it sounds like they, it seems like they've got a lot of good depth on the offensive and defensive lines and those are good building blocks. I don't think they really took into account the young offensive linemen that they have and the, the, the rotation on the defensive line. You win in the trenches and those are the two strengths of this team right now. So I would probably have the Eagles in the mid 20s. Somewhere like that, not down at number 30, but I can't really argue with where they are because when you look at this roster, I think you still see a lot of holes. And this team, I don't believe, has the franchise quarterback on their roster yet at this point. Maybe Jalen Hurts proves me wrong on that and he puts together a Donovan McNabb-like 2000 season where he emerges as the superstar NFL 
franchise quarterback for your Philadelphia Eagles. But I, I think there's a chance that the, the chances are greater that doesn't happen than that it does. One final note on this, a guy named uh, Andrew Mason um, uh, tweeted this out with regards to this ESPN piece. Um, he noted that ESPN, he's a Broncos reporter, um, ESPN had the Broncos 24th in their three-year projection rankings. The team, the Eagles, uh, the, and the ESPN had number one when they did these rankings three years ago, the Philadelphia Eagles. So three years ago, after the Eagles won the Super Bowl, the Eagles were at number one on these three-year power rankings. Three years later, the Eagles are at number 30. So it, these you have to take these kind of with a grain of salt. And the teams that were number 30, 31, and 32 in the 2018 rankings are all teams near the top now, Buffalo, Cleveland, and Miami. So again, a lot can happen in three years. And it doesn't necessarily mean that in three years, the Eagles are going to be near the bottom of the heap. It's more likely than not that they'll be up higher. So um, check that article out on Bleeding Green Nation and all the other good stuff we have at bleedinggreennation.com right now as we get ready for the NFL, uh, for training camp to open next week. All right, folks, that's going to do it for this edition of Eye on the Enemy. My thanks to Connor Orr for hopping on the podcast and joining me this week. And don't forget to check out all of the other fine Bleeding Green Nation podcasts we have for you. Leave a rating and a review at Apple Podcast and uh, tell your friends about the podcast. We can be found on Spotify, wherever it is you get your podcasts. Thanks very much for tuning in, everyone. We'll talk to you next time here on Eye on the Enemy. B-G-N.